Welcome to Public Policy This Week, a well-rounded weekly discussion of policy issues that frame today's American experience. Good morning. It's Friday, September 2nd, and you've joined us for Public Policy This Week on KYMN Radio. I'm Rich Larson, the news director here at KYMN. Public Policy This Week is dedicated to the honest and open discussion of public policy issues. Each week we take a look into a specific policy subject, and we have guests on the show that are experts in their fields. To the greatest extent possible, we stay away from politics and instead concentrate on research, facts, and the experience and insight of our guests to help us to arrive at well-thought-out, comprehensive, integrative solutions to the shared challenges we face in society. Our program runs a gamut on policy subjects from neighborhood concerns to municipal, state, and national-level issues. Everything is fair game. Our objective is civil, thoughtful dialogue about important public policy issues that convey ideas and solutions to move society forward. Hosting today's program is Joe Moravchik, a retired police officer who has also been a teacher and a coach of high school and college athletic teams and a longtime administrator of high school youth and high school and youth athletics. Joining Joe today as co-host is a name familiar to many of you in our listening audience, Steve Swiggum. Steve is a southern Minnesota farmer who has been a teacher and a coach. And for 28 years, Steve was a member of the Minnesota House of Representatives, serving for eight of those years as Speaker of the House. Additionally, Steve is our vi- is Vice Chair of the University of Minnesota Board of Regents. Steve completed his college education in Northfield at St. Olaf College, where he played both basketball and football. Today on Public Policy This Week, was discussing operations at the University of Minnesota Athletic Department and the seismic changes taking place in college athletics including Big Ten Conference expansion, the huge television contract the Big Ten Conference just signed with three networks, and the new name, image, and likeness rules. Our guest in studio today is University of Minnesota Director of Athletics, Mark Coyle. Mark, welcome to Northfield. Uh, good morning. Uh, it's great to be here. <laughs> we are uh, give you just a little bit of a background, listeners, about uh, Mark Coyle uh, first. Uh, but uh, I think the bottom line, before I give you his uh, credentials and uh, uh, what Mark has done in his life is you need to know I've known this individual for six years and he does things the right way all the time. Um, that's that's important. That's important to know as as, as a base. Uh, Mark was named uh, University of Minnesota Athletic, Athletic Director in May of 2016. Uh, prior to being AD at Minnesota, uh, he's been Director of Athletics at Syracuse University and Boise State University. Uh, Mark was also director, or deputy director, I believe, of athletics at the University of Kentucky. Uh, at Minnesota, at the university, Mark oversees 22 varsity sports with 650 student athletes and 260 employees. Uh, during Mark's tenure of the last six years, uh, Minnesota has won 15 regular season conference titles, seven conference tournament championships, and 16 individual NCAA, NCAA national championships. Those titles have come from different programs, from baseball to volleyball, uh, to hockey to soccer. Um, in the classroom, under Mark's leadership, Minnesota has produced 122 academic all-district honorees and 160 Big Ten Distinguished Scholars. Uh, Mark himself was a former athlete, uh, Playing football at Drake University, uh, got a 
bachelor's degree in English back in 1991. Uh, he earned a master's degree in teaching from Drake in 1992. Uh, Mark uh, has a wife by the name of Kirsten. Uh, three wonderful children that I've had an opportunity to meet myself. Uh, one in particular that I hope to have uh, encouraged to get to the University of Minnesota, and she's at uh, Carlson School, I think. Uh, Mark Coyle, welcome to Public Policy. Welcome to Northfield, Minnesota. Hey, well, good morning, and uh, you know it's exciting to be here, and uh, you know it's great when we have a chance to talk about the wonderful things that our University of Minnesota is doing, and just really appreciate the support of, of everybody down here, and look forward to having a great conversation this morning. Mark, my late father took me to my first college football game in 1974, put me on his shoulders as the clock counted down a Wisconsin upset over highly ranked Nebraska in Madison. I've been hooked on college football ever since. The fall weather, the team colors, the bands, the radio broadcasts, the roar of the crowd, the great young athletes, and competition on the field. It's my favorite time of the year. Last night, the Minnesota Golden Gophers hosted New Mexico State at Huntington Bank Stadium. With students making their way back to campus, a nationally televised night game at home, a season-opening victory, I imagine it's an exciting time of the year for you and Gopher Athletics. Yeah, there's no doubt, Joe. You know, it's it's always a great time of year. I'm one of those strange people like you. I really enjoy the fall, and I know most Minnesotans get a little nervous because that means the weather's going to start to turn on us. But but I really like the uh, I like the fall. You know, uh, we have uh, all of our student athletes coming back on campus, and I have a chance to meet with all the coaches, all the teams when they come back on campus, and just the excitement. You know, President Gable and and, and Vice Chair Swiggum's heard President Gable talk about this athletics is the front porch of the institution, and uh, we take that responsibility very seriously to do things the right way. And and you talk about a national TV game last night, a packed stadium, mm-hmm. new students on campus. It's just an exciting time, and it's great that we can showcase the great things going on at the University of Minnesota, not only in the athletic department, but the entire campus and the community. Uh, Mark, you have an undergraduate degree in English, and one of your two master's degrees in teaching. You're an athletic director, and you've been in athletics management for nearly 30 years. A few, cross, a few questions related to teaching. Did you start out as a teacher how does your training and teaching benefit you as you manage a large staff and interact with young student athletes? And when did you decide that you wanted to make a leadership role in college athletics a career? Okay, great. Well, you know, uh, I, I grew up uh, in, in uh, Regent Swigman and I were talking about this. You know, I grew up down in Iowa, outside of Waterloo, Iowa, and, and grew up in a great family environment. And, and I went to a high school called Columbus High School. And uh, I had a teacher, Gary Sneederson. Every time I go back to Waterloo, uh, I go have breakfast with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a, a huge influence on my life. Um, my father passed away unexpectedly about 23 years ago. Uh, he was everything to me, you know, and my mom, great mom. And, and, and when, uh, when um, I went to college at Drake, uh, I had every intention of being a high school English teacher and coaching some sports. And I know both of you, you know, <laughs> had that background in teaching and so forth, and, and that was my intention. And when I finished uh, my master's in teaching, Uh, I heard somebody talk about athletic administration and my plan was okay I'll go get another master's in sports administration uh, and then I'll come back and teach in Iowa and and I'll be completely happy and uh, I went down to Florida State for grad school and and my first uh, internship was in the ticket office down there and uh, when I finished up my grad program uh, my uh, supervisor uh, came into my office and I say office I sat in a literally in the back of a safe uh, in the ticket <laughs> office. But uh, he came in there, John Sheffield was his name, and he said, hey, a good friend of mine is the ticket manager at the University of Miami. Uh, 
you have an interview next week. Mm-hmm. And so I remember flying down to Miami. And again, you got a kid from Iowa, and I'm going down to Miami. And this is when the Hurricanes were the Hurricanes. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, uh, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, was on that team. Uh-huh. Coach Erickson, those type of players. Ray Lewis, all those, uh, you know, glory days of Miami football. And I interviewed for the job, and I got the job. And I remember calling my uh, my parents saying, hey, I'm not going to come back home. I'm going to go take this job uh, at Miami. And my parents were incredibly supportive. So I went down there and uh, started my career in athletics and became addicted to it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I love the competition. I love the educational side of it. And, uh, again, I've been really blessed to be at some of the schools I've been at and have the opportunities I've had to work in college athletics. Mark, how good did it feel last night at the stadium? And I had a chance to be there with you seeing the beautiful stadium, the wonderful night, but seeing the whole eastern end of the bowl filled with students. I, I, you know, it's, it's about students. It's about, about what they are experiencing and giving them the experiences that you know, we want to you know, have them have for the rest of their life. It must, have, it must have been awesome for you to look down and see all those kids, all those students at that end. We are so fortunate with the support we get, and and you know I'll tell you after the game when when PJ came in the locker room to address the team, he talked about there's nothing like the sense of football and the sense of community that it creates. And he was talking about in the locker room with the win. He was talking about the student section and how great that was, the stadium and how many fans were there. And I give President Gable a lot of credit. She's been so supportive. Uh, our board has been so supportive to do initiatives to try to get people to, to come in and engage in our games and embrace athletics. And, and you know, uh, you mentioned your first college football game at Wisconsin. You know, I, I have a lot of respect for Wisconsin. I have to be careful saying that. I know that I'm in Minnesota. <laughs> but but I, I, I have a lot of respect. And, and, and when I got this job... Um, um, six years ago, uh, almost seven years ago, uh, one of my first phone calls was to Coach Alvarez uh, at Wisconsin. He was the athletic director at the time, and, and I have a lot of respect because when I was growing up, Wisconsin was the laughing stock of the Big Ten. I mean, they were not good in anything. Those teams in the 80s were brutal. Yes, right? Yeah. And, and, and Coach Alvarez gets there, and he flipped it. And, and if you look at Wisconsin's done and all their sports, uh, again, I've got a lot of respect for them. And Coach Alvarez, you know, he talked about, you know, I said, what did you do? And he said, we stopped making excuses. And so we just kind of took that on as our mantra that we're not going to make excuses. We're going to work hard. We're going to do things the right way. And doing things the right way is having that great sense of community, involving the students, involving the community, involving campus. And I think you're starting to see some positive results. Nothing but a better feeling for those students last night. I tell you, uh, w- winning helps a lot, too. <laughs> winning makes, I, makes a good experience, doesn't it, Joe? <laughs> I, I've only been an AD for, uh, I'm in my 11th year of being an athletic director, and, and the one thing I've learned is I'm a lot smarter when we win. <laughs> so that helps. Uh, Mark, let's get into uh, a couple of questions about the Gopher program itself, and uh, let's start with, with money. Um, I found out uh, through a little uh, minimal research that uh, in 1970, ABC Sports uh, paid $12.1 million, $12.1 million to uh, uh, host college football games on TV in 1970. That's 52 years ago. And now just last week or maybe last month, um, we announced the the new contract uh, for college football. 7.5 7.5 billion. We went from 12 million to 7.5. That's a B billion over the next seven years. Um, give us a little perspective of what this money means to you, to your program, uh, to uh, not only just the football program, but to all 22 programs you run for student athletes. 
There's no doubt it has a huge impact, and, and uh, I love the intro, Joe, when you talked about like a fact-based show, and, and so I don't want to mislead anybody, but if, if my memory is correct, I think college football every year of the top 100 shows, like live shows on TV, college football, NFL football, have like 96, 97 of those spots. Mm. Uh, so there's a huge, huge demand for football, and, and obviously college football, the NFL, uh, they drive those numbers. And, and when you talk about you know, a TV contract like that, I give a lot of credit to President Gable. Uh, she has such a strong voice in the room with our, with our it's called our, our Committee of Chancellors and Presidents at the Big Ten level. We obviously have lots of calls with athletic directors, with Commissioner Warren, but when you have a TV deal like that and, and you go through that expansion that we went through, and I'm sure we can talk about it expansion here shortly uh, there's no doubt it has an impact on your program and and i remember um steve when i was here uh from 2001 to 5 i was the director of marketing at minnesota and i remember I, I went to a convention and for some odd reason i wanted to be an athletic director i wasn't sure why but i wanted to be an athletic director and i go to this convention and i heard this athletic director he, he made a comment that i've never forgotten he said that money's not the most important thing in college athletics but it's right up there with oxygen. And, and I have never forgotten that statement. And, and, and I feel like every conversation I have uh, comes around finances and how can you support your student athletes. And, and we take that commitment very seriously. You know, I, I give our, our coaches a lot of credit because we talk all the time that when you recruit a young man or a young woman to come to Minnesota, Yes, they have to be able to compete in the Big Ten or the WCHA for women's hockey, but they also have to be able to compete in our classrooms, on our campus, and, and you know the great academic reputation of Minnesota and those type of things. So when we get those type of dollars, obviously we can invest in our program, we can invest in our student-athletes, we can invest in our academic learning, uh, we can invest in what we call our Leadership U program, which is our goal. To, you know, we, we talk all the time. We have these kids for four or five years, but our goal is to prepare them for the next 40 years. Mm -hmm. and, and again, I think that's a big part of my my job and, and what education means to me is like how can we have these kids for four or five years they come into our program and when they leave our program they're ready for the next 40 50 years of their lives and so those resources go a long way in helping us to achieve those goals Joe Mar uh, Rich you can see why I like Mark Coyle you know when we start talking money I think his program is 120 million dollars a year right now it's going to be more um, but he focuses back to the student right to the athlete to the experiences they have. It's, it's not just about the money, although that's important. Um, oxygen. Oxygen. <laughs> uh, Mark, prepping for today's program, I watched some videos and read articles about the more than 337,000 square foot, $166 million athletes village at the University of Minnesota. I've been to athletic complexes all over the country, and athletes village is truly a wonderful building. What can you tell our listeners about athletes village what takes place there, and why is it important to go for athletics? Uh, Joe, it, it has been a complete game changer for our program. You know, and I remember when when I was hired to come to Minnesota, they had talked about uh, the board had just approved this project. Uh, I think, uh, if I remember correctly, it was like a hundred and sixty-six, hundred and eighty million dollar project, and. Uh, and I can tell you um, it has created the wow factor in Minnesota. And, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, our goal is to get 18-year-old kids to say yes to Minnesota. <laughs> and, and so we're recruiting these kids to come into our program, whether it's Aaron Chastain with our soccer program.
program, uh, Katrina Thompson with, with women's tennis, Ben Johnson with men's basketball, Coach Fleck with football. You know, when they bring those kids into that facility, uh, it has the wow factor. And, and, and we always joke, you know, when kids walk into our building with their, with their parents or their guardians and they take out their cell phones and they start to take pictures, that's a good sign. That means the visit's going to go really well because they're, <laughs> they're wild by it. But, but Athletes Village, um, you know, it's, it's a very, uh, on, on level one, we have a nutrition center. Um, we, we feed all of our student athletes. Um, with lunch and dinner every day. That's part of that where that TV revenue goes to make sure we, we feed our student athletes the right way and take care of them from a nutritional standpoint. It has a men's and women's basketball practice facility, so we have two courts practice facilities for both of those sports um it has the lindahl academic center mm. uh and, and the lindahl academic center uh, jt brewett um, uh, oversees our lindahl academic center and and again our student athletes um uh, I, I know it's not very minnesotan to hit your chest but i think people need to understand uh you know our student athletes um all 22 sports all 600 kids our cumulative grade point average is a 3.4 uh that's the highest rated public school in the country our graduation rate is 96%. It's a record all-time high, highest public school in the country. And, again, media doesn't talk about that. I get people want to focus on wins. But, again, I feel like it's my job to focus on that academic side in the next 40 years of their lives. Uh, so the, the academic center is a phenomenal piece of that facility. And then, finally, the top floor, we, we call it Leadership U. And, and, and I give Peyton Owens, who's our senior social athletics director, a lot of credit. Our Leadership U is where we bring in. Um, CEOs, C-level uh, type people uh, from the Twin Cities, from the state of Minnesota, and they come in and they talk to our student athletes, they mentor our student athletes, and they give them real life leadership skills. And so, you know, we talk about when a student athlete leaves Minnesota, uh, you know, if you're meeting, uh, you know, Sherry Ballard, who's the president of the Minnesota United, but used to be over at Best Buy, you know, you're meeting leaders like that. You're, you're having conversations with them and learning from them. Uh, we bring in faculty members. We bring in Dr. Michael Goh, uh, who you know, Chair Swigman, uh, to come in and talk to our student athletes, our coaches. So we do a lot of really cool things, and and, and I can tell you, um, uh, Jeremy Foley, who's the athletic director at Florida, most Minnesotans won't know that name, but but Jeremy Foley is the one who built Florida, and, and he's the athletic director. He's retired now. He's going to come talk to our student athletes and our coaches and our staff. So we use that facility day in and day out, but it's a huge piece of our of our campus environment. And, and I think one of the unintended consequences of Athletes Village, it has brought our department incredibly close together. Uh, they always talk about when you feed people, they come together, and, and when you feed people, I, I tell people if you're having a bad day, come hang out at Athletes Village because you see gymnastics student athletes eating with football student athletes baseball student athletes eating with swimming student athletes it's really cool to see that interaction to see the coaches interact and it's brought our department incredibly close together mark is uh, unbelievable the uh, academic performance of, of our students at the university 3.4 4 grade point average uh, couple of my buddies in St. Olaf, we've had add ours together to get a 3.4. Uh, and I believe the, the academic performance of the football team is even higher than the average of all 22 sports athletes. Yeah, PJ, you know, uh, he's done a great job. We, we were talking before we came on air, and, and I, I make the comment, uh, you know, Coach Fleck, you know, we understand, he, you know, row the boat. He's got all these unique phrases, all these unique things of his culture that he's trying to create, what he's trying to build. And I think sometimes we get lost in that. But but when you peeled all back, I, I use the phrase, um, he's old-fashioned values packaged high def. You know, we, we're all taught to work hard, to have commitment, to have integrity, to do things the right way. And I think those things really matter in Minnesota. And you've heard me talk about that publicly at board meetings. Yeah. Doing it right in Minnesota matters. And, and, and um, you know, PJ with his kids – 
Uh, you know, every kid wears a college shirt to class. They sit in the first two rows, no hats. I mean, they pay attention. They get to know their faculty members. I mentioned the Lindahl Academic Center when they work with J.T. Bruitt, uh, Jackie Lenish, uh, Robert Day, two of our academic advisors who work closely with our student-athletes do a phenomenal job. But again, it, it's, it's not lip service. We, we take that very, very seriously, and P.J. takes that seriously. And, and again, not only are we winning the most football games we've won since the early 1900s, but our grade point average is a 3-6 with our football program, which is unheard of. I mean, they're winning games. They're doing it the right way academically. And we could talk about the Thanksgiving turkey drive, the diaper drive, all the other things that they do in the community. Uh, so I give Coach Fleck a lot of credit for developing that total student-athlete package. For sure. I think our uh, football players uh, have to. Uh, PJ makes them do in the community projects, including uh, visiting hospitals. 100%. Yep. They have to visit the hospital. And state again, because this is so important to give people the real perspective of, of Coach Fleck and the program. Students, student-athletes, sit in the first two worlds. No hats. Uh, collared shirts. 3.6 grade point average you know, for the average of the program. I mean, this is a special thing. Wins aside. And Mark, you better win first. <laughs> but yeah. I, I don't want to dismiss that yeah. show. It's, you know, I feel a lot better about Mark Coyle being nine and three than uh, yeah. no. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But but it is important that that people understand this program focused towards the, the student athlete. Yeah, to interrupt you, I apologize. You know, I think you bring up a, a really good point. What I absolutely love, and we talk to our student, I, I meet with every student athlete team when they come back on campus, right? And I give every student athlete my cell number. And, and I do that because we, we make a commitment that when we brought you to Minnesota, we're going to do the things the right way. And, and what I love about PJ and all of our programs, our football team went to the state fair the first day that that's open. They go every year, first day when the state fair is open. If you could see how many emails I get from fans who say I interacted with your football student athletes at the state fair, and oh my gosh, what great young men, what great representatives of the University of Minnesota, the department. And I could talk about our softball team. I could talk about our women's golf mm-hmm. team. I could talk about our volleyball team. Just great, great kids who are doing, for yeah, sure. doing it the right way. And, I, and again, I really appreciate the leadership of our coaches and Coach Flack. Yeah, we have, we have some great coaches. And let's get to that next, Mark, because that is probably one of your uh, most important roles or jobs as athletic director is the hiring of coaches, hiring of the right people who will show the leadership to our student athletes. Uh, my guess, you're not wearing a, uh, a, a shirt today uh, in the studio here with a pocket. But my guess is you have a shirt with a pocket or a, uh, uh, a pocket in your suit that you keep a list of names, of uh, potential names of, of potential coaching uh, uh, persons that you'd like to, if in 5 or 10 or 15 years say you have to replace a coach, I got the list right here where I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to guess you have that list. Tell us a little bit about this important role you have of, uh, of, of hiring coaches. Uh, um, coaches, of course, have to recruit, um, have to develop the players, uh, uh, teach a lot of the team, team concepts and life concepts that, that we need. Uh, winning's important, but, but more important is that the coaches have to set the proper example for our young men and young women. Um, what attributes do you look at, Mark, uh, when you consider a coaching candidate? Uh, how do you get the Lindsey Whalens, the Ben Johnsons? How do you get those people to be um, a representative of the University of Minnesota? Yeah, well, well I, I'm a huge believer you're a product of your background, right, and, and, and what you learn and you grow. And, and I have never forgotten this. So my father was a cardiothoracic vascular surgeon. Mm-hmm. 
I have no Spell idea. Spell that, Joe. Yeah. I have, <laughs> Joe, I, Give I, me a couple minutes. Yeah, <laughs> I have no idea what that is, but I know he was an open-heart surgeon. You know, that, that's what he did. And, and my mom was a nurse. And, and, and growing up in that environment, um, and again, I had a wonderful upbringing, great parents, great involvement, and so forth. But, like, if they had a bad day, somebody died. Like, I never forgot that growing up, and, and that's part of my perspective. And I think when you look at an athletic director, I think one of the most important jobs they have, second to education, is you've got to hire the right people and the people who are the right fit for your program. And, and for some reason, when we have these coaching searches that go on, uh, we tend to get really calm. Um, I go behind the scenes. As you all know, I tend to be underneath the radar, uh, radar screen. We, we say we want to be like a mushroom. We want to grow at night in the dark where nobody sees us growing. Uh, that's how we try to, to operate our program. But, but when we look at coaches, I, I make it really simple, uh, Steve. You know, A, I want somebody with great integrity. Uh, again, when we talk about doing it right, uh, it matters. And, and I want somebody who has great integrity. The second thing I look at is somebody who um, – understands the value of recruiting and again being a product of your background uh you know i worked at kentucky for seven years when i left minnesota in 2005 and i was very fortunate the athletic director there mitch barnhart has been there 20 plus years uh, is a phenomenal dude and, and a great person and uh, i remember being around mitch he talked always about the importance of when you hire a coach again great integrity great honesty and they better be able to recruit uh, and, and I remember when we hired Coach Kyle Perry at Kentucky, I had a chance to oversaw our men's basketball program, and we hired John Kyle Perry at Kentucky. I remember one of my first conversations with Coach Kyle, he, he made a comment to me. He said, hey, I may not be the, I may not be the best coach in America, uh, but it's, it's not the X's and the O's. It's the Jimmy's and the Joe's, and I can get the Jimmy's and the Joe's, meaning he can get the recruits. Yeah. And, and if you look at the coaches we've hired at Minnesota, they've been able to get the Jimmys and the Joes. They've been able to get the really good recruits that fit our campus and our community. Uh, and again, when I talk about that academically, athletically, and socially. And so whether you look at, at Lindsay, when we hired her, obviously great name recognition. Her recruiting class this year ranked fourth in the country. Again, that gets lost sometimes, but her recruiting class that came in this year ranked fourth in the country, I believe. Uh, PJ's had the highest recruiting classes we've ever had at Minnesota. Ben Johnson's recruiting classes are being nationally ranked. He's getting some great, great kids to come to our program katrina thompson on women's tennis I, I know people don't follow tennis as closely but she's done a great job recruiting uh, brandon Egham, i think has the number two ranked recruiting class in the country right now so we've brought in coaches bob moscow i, I forget coach moscow oh, yeah. i mean phenomenal oh, dude you look at his recruiting what he's done with gopher hockey in the frozen four last year so uh you know we've brought in really good coaches who understand uh my philosophy our philosophy on campus but again I, I try to keep it really simple it's uh, a great honesty great integrity and B can you recruit and then the final piece that I look at is uh, you know can I work with you day in and day out you know if we have to be in an office together because again the TV cameras don't follow me and coach Fleck everywhere we go right and, and we have lots of conversations he and I talk almost every day and 99% of our conversations are about his wife, his kids, my wife, my kids, and is that somebody I want to hang out with? And 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 again, so when we re, when we hire people, I want to I want to be with people I want to work with. And again, I think we've been able to be very fortunate bringing in those type of people to help our program grow and develop. Mark, you mentioned a number of our good coaches. I can imagine knowing most of them sitting in a kitchen table with mom and dad and a high school junior that. They probably give a uh, a very strong sense of uh, this is where I want my child to come to to learn and experience the values that uh, the Moscows and the Whalens have. Yeah, th there's no doubt, and 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 again, th they just um, 
they're just such great fits for Minnesota and, and who we are, right? And, and I think um, I think it's important that that again we understand who we are and what we're trying to do, and and, and we don't shy away. You know, um, a few years ago I was asked to uh, do a strategic plan for the athletic department, and again English major, four years of Shakespeare education, and they're asking me to do a strategic plan. And, <laughs> but and I, that, that's important. Yes. <laughs> and, and I, oh yes. I, yeah. I know at, you all at the board. Out, level, yeah, that's board important level. that you and, have a plan. And we did a strategic plan. You know, we, we sat down. But but what I I thought was incredibly important. I told my senior staff when we started this journey. I said. We're going to develop a strategic plan, but I want it so my at the time my sixth grade son, who's now a sophomore in high school, that my sixth grade son would understand it. And we literally took that plan from the bottom of the organization all the way to the top, back to the bottom, in between, so everybody had input, everybody had a chance to give us some feedback and commitment. And we produced a strategic plan on a flip card. Flip card. Simple front and back. And it is amazing how when you look at that strategic plan, a, how many of our employees have it stuck to their cubicle or their office and their wall or on their desk? And B, how many of them can talk about it? And, and we have very simple things. You know, we want to win at the highest level academically, athletically, socially. Uh, our action, you know, be kind, be accurate, be inclusive, you know, be competitive, be honest. Sounds really simple, right? Well, we're doing those things, and I think you're starting to see some of that success of doing those little basic things the right way. So, again, we feel really fortunate to be at Minnesota and be a part of this great university. Yeah. Rich, would you say the right way as the words you're hearing, for sure? Without question, Mr. Speaker, absolutely. Um, Mark, we've talked uh, quite a bit about, you know, those front porch programs of uh, basketball, uh, football, hockey, the university, but you have 19 other uh, programs that we also have at the university. Going to give you a blank check here for a minute, give a blank check. Tell us some things that we need to know or should know about those other programs, about their successes or their participations or their excellence of the students. I'll give you a blank check here for a minute about the other programs we have because they're yeah. important. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. I think, first off, I think it's important that, that people understand is, you know, we have 22 programs, and three of those programs generate revenue. Uh, and you've heard me talk about this, Vice Chair Swigum. You know, we, we have... Obviously, football, men's basketball, men's hockey, they generate revenue. And our budget is about $126, $127 million. It ranks ninth in the Big Ten. That's a lot of money, but we rank ninth in the Big Ten. And we tell our coaches, hey, we need to compete in the top half of the Big Ten and, and, and have great, great success. And when you look at our program and the success we've had, you can talk about our volleyball program, which is ranked fourth in the country. We had a tough match the other night against Texas, uh, who's number one in the country on national TV. We play Florida on Sunday at the at, at Maturi Pavilion, which will be a great game great atmosphere um you look at our cross-country program uh, sarah hopkins who's the head coach of our men's and women's cross-country program they have they have top 10 finishes they do a wonderful job uh, jenny hansen she was recognized last night at the football yep. game with our women's gymnastics program uh, they really don't have a practice facility and they finished sixth in the country last year hmm. i mean think about that for a second they finished sixth in the country uh, in women's gymnastics which is phenomenal um you know we have our women's hockey program which is always contending for wcha titles and final or a frozen four person in that side of it so we have great great success across the sport and and again you know i feel like we we've got um this culture at minnesota where you know we believe in what you're doing every sport matters and, and again you know i i learned from my time at kentucky going back to my line you're a product of your environment i, I remember when i left minnesota again in 2000 
in five to go to Kentucky. Our men's golf team at Kentucky won the SEC Golf Championship. And men's golf, not many people talk about men's golf, fair? I mean, that's just not something you talk about every day. And the AD, Mitch Barnhart, called me and he said, hey, and I was a sport administrator for men's golf. That was my program. He called me and said, hey, let's go meet him at the airport when they land. You know, they just won the SEC championship. This is cool. And so I go to the airport with him, and these kids, you know, get off the plane. They come through the terminal or whatever, and Mitch is crying. And I'm like, good Lord. I mean, like, and that taught me a great lesson. Like, everything matters. And I think we get great kids to come to Minnesota because every sport matters. And, and you see when I go in front of the board, we talk about all 22 sports. We talk about the expectation of competing at a high level. You know, and, and if you look at us athletically, you heard me brag about our athletics, our, our academic success, but athletically, there's, there's this program called the Director's Cup. And that measures all of your athletic programs against all your peers in the country. So there's over 350 Division One programs. We're routinely in the top 25, top 30. I think this year we were 27th, which means we're in the top 7% athletically. So we're doing some really cool things. Uh, and again, it's a credit to our coaches and our student athletes who believe in what we're trying to do overall in our department. That's awesome. Uh, Mark, uh, Northfield, Minnesota, where we are right now, of course, we are the home of Carleton College mm -hmm. and St. Olaf College, two very, very good private schools. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, quick kudo, if you would, uh, to uh, St. Olaf. I think their uh, coach Kaz is bringing his team up, his basketball team, to uh, play an exhibition game with the Go with the Gophers early in November. Yeah, I believe it's the first uh, exhibition game of the year. They'll they'll have yeah. a chance to come up and play in the barn, and and uh, you know obviously we're excited. Coach Johnson, uh, you know, has uh, four or five new recruits that have come on the campus. I know it'll be a great experience for St. Olaf, and I think it's great when you can uh, you know partner with local schools and local communities and give give those kids a chance to to play in that historic. Facility. Facility. And, and you've been to the ICU at almost every basketball game. It's just a great atmosphere, a great environment. So I'm sure the St. Olaf folks will have a great time being a there. Great kudos to Coach Kaz and, and his team. Oh, and his no team. doubt, yeah, no doubt. So Just if I may inter interject, I can't. I will be at that game just for the opportunity to sing Umiyaya at, at the barn. <laughs> at the <That's> barn. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I was... You, what, you know the words to Umiyaya, Well, Trish? of course I do. I mean, <laughs> 1991, man. I, yeah, you were there. When I was... Uh, last night when I got home, I, I can't... I. Unfortunately, I need to figure out how to sleep better. Uh, and last night, I was just reading up on St. Olaf and how many of their programs are ranked. Yeah. I mean, they have an incredibly successful athletic program. And uh, just, you know, I was just trying to, you know, familiarize myself with Northfield and just really impressive to see the number of teams they have ranked nationally right now, which is very, I mean, people don't realize how hard, I mean, I always remind people, everybody wants to win. Right. Yeah. And, and like when you play, like we played New Mexico State last night, they want to win just as bad as we do. Right. And we and we're fortunate we got the win and we move on. Uh, but for St. Olaf to have success, they have. I mean, it's a credit to them and the program they have yeah. down here. Yeah, we're very proud of both colleges. Yeah. You know, one on each side of the river. I yeah. don't know if you know that, Mark, but we have uh, Carlton on the east side and uh, St. Olaf up the hill on the, on the west side. Very proud of that. Uh, Mark, one thing about you uh, personally that I'm sure a lot of our listeners don't know, don't know is that uh, you have been elected or selected to be part of the NCAA Men's Basketball Selection Committee. What a great honor, by the way. This is, we're talking March Madness. We're talking probably the, the best brand that there is in all of athletics, pro, professional, or college. Uh, March Madness, and you get to be one of those guys uh, behind that closed door, uh, I think locked door, maybe, uh, <laughs> locked door that in March uh, goes through a process of selection, selecting the 68 teams in the brackets. You probably can't tell us everything, but 
give us a little insight, if you will, about the atmosphere behind that closed door, uh, the decision making you go th- you go through. You know, what's it like uh, to be on the selection committee? And again, kudos to you for being selected for that. Yeah, well, we'll feel very blessed, obviously, to have that opportunity and to represent not only Minnesota, but the Big Ten Conference. And, and uh, I won't tell the listeners how many times you gave me advice uh, when I was going <laughs> in that room. Uh, I felt like every conversation you and I had last winter, you were giving me some advice on some teams I need to pay attention to. And I do appreciate Maybe that. not good advice. No, but... I, I listened to you. I'm a good listener, right? I listened to you. But uh, but uh, so so uh, there's 12 members um, on the men's basketball committee. Um, and and they're made up of athletic directors, uh, conference commissioners, and, and uh, I feel really fortunate to be a part of that. And as, as you mentioned, you know, there's there's so much um, uh, uniqueness with March Madness and the tournament, and to have the opportunity to be a part of the selection process was uh, was a great experience. I, I'm on the committee for five years, and and I can tell you, um, you know, the amount of travel is bonkers. Uh, there's a lot of travel. I watch a lot of college basketball. Uh, my wife Kristen was like, "Are you kidding me? You're going to be watching more sports at home?" But, but I would watch a lot of basketball games, and you know, the NCAA does a great job. There, there's a, a platform where I can watch a college basketball game with no commercials, and I can watch it in 40 minutes. So I, I would go home at night, and I could watch five or six basketball games and knock them out and, and, and you're assigned conferences so I work with different conferences uh, last year I worked with the Horizon League I worked with the Big 12 League our conference and I worked with a couple other conferences so the Northeast Conference so you get to know those conferences really well you have check-in calls with those conferences and then as we get down to March Madness um, when you actually get to Selection Sunday, it's awesome to uh, be in that room and to hear the conversations. And, and uh, they have so many, <clears throat> excuse me, they have so many analytical tools that we can kind of look at. But I'm a big believer. I'm old school uh, in terms of like who beat who, where did you beat them at, you know, and, and how did you do it, those type of things. And, and I think head to head is very important. And, and, you know, I can tell you it's, it's great because I can come back and have conversations with Coach Johnson and with Coach Whalen because the Women's Basketball Committee is just like the Men's Basketball Committee and the importance of playing really good opponents and having really good wins all help you to try to get to that March situation. But but it was an awesome experience and, and feel really fortunate to be a part of it. Well, you uh, give us a real special personal touch being there in that committee uh, from Minnesota. Yeah. I mean, March Madness is, we all go bonkers. You know, it's, it's oh, yeah. the brand. And uh, it's kind of neat to know somebody representing Minnesota who is behind that closed door. I, you know, I, my wife and I joke, uh, again, just my personality. I, I tell people I'm the shyest athletic director in America, <laughs> and, I, and I try to be underneath the radar screen. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I do believe less is more. And and I'm not sure many people knew I was on that basketball committee until the Final Four, and I had one of the best seats in America for that Duke-North Carolina game. I'm literally sitting center court, you know, 10 yards from both coaches because that's where they had the committee members sit. And uh, I must have been on TV a lot because my phone was blowing up with the number of text messages from people <laughs> like, what are you doing there? Like, you're a minute. I'm like, it's a long – yeah, but it's, it's, it was a great experience, you know, to see Coach K coach his final game. And, and uh, Bubba Cunningham, who's the uh, athletic director at, at North Carolina, he's on the men's basketball committee. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, Jamie Pollard, the AD at Iowa State. Uh, Greg Byrne, the AD at Alabama, who I've known Greg for a long time. He's on the committee. Uh, so it's great to spend time with those ADs and just talk about your programs. And, and selfishly for us at Minnesota, it gives us a chance to learn, like, hey, what are you doing at Alabama? What are you doing you know, at, at uh, US, uh, UCLA? Martin Jarman was on the committee. What are you doing at North Carolina? So it's a great not only to be on that committee, but also to learn what other programs are doing and try to pick up their good habits to bring back to your home. You're listening to Public Policy This Week on KYMN Radio, AM 1080 and FM 95.1, broadcasting out of Northfield, Minnesota. I'm Joe Moravchik, and my co-host is Steve Swigum. Our guest today is Mark Coyle, Director of Athletics at the University of Minnesota. We are discussing operations at the University of Minnesota Athletic Department, 
and all of the changes occurring today in college athletics. Mark, the Big Ten Conference was formed in 1896 and historically has been a Midwestern league. Minnesota was, in fact, one of the original founding members. Now the conference stretches from Rutgers and Maryland in the east through the Midwest to USC and UCLA on the west coast. The Big Ten began with seven members and will shortly have 16 members. I've read about more growth for the conference, potentially Oregon, Washington, or Stanford in the west, perhaps North Carolina in the east. And there's certainly much discussion about Notre Dame potentially joining the conference. Do you expect the Big Ten Conference to continue to expand in the next couple of years? So uh, I'm going to go back to remember you're a product of your environment. I've used that line a couple times with you. Uh, this is a true story, and you can't make this up. So my, uh, my first, when I was hired as the athletic director at Boise State University, I was hired in early December back in uh, 2011. And at the time, Boise State was trying to get into the Big East Conference. If you remember the old BCS days, and there was like bids, and Boise State was trying to get into the Big East Conference, and they had made that decision right before I became the athletic director at Boise State. And I remember when I went to my uh, first set of meetings, you know, are, is Boise State going to join the Big East Conference? Are they not going to join the Big East Conference? They ended up not going to the Big East Conference, and they stayed in the Mountain West Conference, which was, which was a great decision for Boise State. But I remember uh, I would do a live shot with a local TV station on the field at Boise State football games. So, you know, 30 minutes before kickoff, hey, here's AD Mark Coyle, and we're going to talk, you know, Boise State Athletics. And Jay Trust, he's still at the, uh, at the affiliate out in, in Boise. He, uh, he's like, hey, Mark, you know, it's our live shot. And he asked me a question just like you just asked me. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, I think conference expansion's done. Jay, I think we can take a deep <laughs> breath. I think everything is going to be really smooth here on out. And 15 minutes later, breaking news, Rutgers and Maryland to the Big Ten. <laughs> and I remember looking at my wife saying, you're a moron. <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to be Joe Cool. Like, I got all the inside scoop. And so my point is, I am going to answer your question. Um, if you would have asked me a year ago, would we be talking about expansion? I think as soon as Texas and Oklahoma went to the SEC, mm-hmm. I think that put up my antenna. And, and I know um, I had conversations with, with Vice Chair. I call him Vice Chair because of our Board of Regents. But I had conversations with Vice Chair Swigum uh, in board leadership about some of the changes that, that we thought were going to happen. And, you know, I mentioned President Gable. I think she's going to be on the show in a few weeks. You're going to be so impressed with her. She is such a phenomenal leader and has such a strong national presence. And she's got a lot of great contacts out there. So she's starting to hear about this conference expansion, too. And it's important to understand that the presidents are the ones who make this decision. It's not mm. the athletic directors. The presidents are the ones who, because they look at the academic fit and some of the other fits when it, when it goes that way. So w- when we added USC and UCLA, um, Commissioner Warren uh, had put together an expansion committee um, maybe about eight, ten months ago. And so I knew we were having conversations. I was not part of that expansion committee. I, I was on uh, the football liaison committee and a couple other committees. But uh, I knew we were having conversations, and then when, when he presented to the presidents the opportunity to add USC and UCLA, uh, it made sense. Because if, if you go back and look at it, um, there's only a handful of programs that move the needle in terms of TV revenue. And, and so um, when when you see a Texas and Oklahoma go to the SEC, that moves the needle from you know the viewership, people are going to watch the games, et cetera. When you add USC and UCLA to the Big Ten, you add the L.A. market. Right. That moves the needle, right? And, and now if you look at the Big Ten, you know, you, you've got the New York market, you've got the L.A. market, you've got the Chicago market. I mean, you've got the top three markets. Uh, I, I remember telling our head coaches um, about 15 minutes before this broke, um, 
Uh, actually, Vice Chair Swigum was probably one of the first ones to find out because of his role with the university. But, but I told our coaches, we had an all-coaches meeting, and I said, be very, very fortunate that we're in the Big Ten Conference because we're a legacy member in the Big Ten Conference. Mm-hmm. And, and I think um, you know, you're starting to see the SEC and the Big Ten start to separate from some of the other yeah, conferences. Sure. Mm-hmm. So, Joe, when you, when you talk about expansion, I will say never say never. Uh, but, but I do hope um, – that we have some sort of conclusion soon. And what I mean by that is uh, I, I feel bad. Um, again, when I was at Boise State, I was on the outside looking in. And, and I have a lot of good friends who are ADs in the Pac-12, and, and I hate for them what they're going through right now because there's just a lot of anxiety. Yeah. And, and uh, a lot of people in the ACC, uh, Commissioner Phillips at the ACC, who is a dear, dear friend of mine, uh, I feel for him because, again, there's just uneasiness right now. So if we do expand, um, you know, I, I hope it's sooner rather than later. But but I'm not sure. Again, I could tell you right now, I think we're good. And in 15 minutes, I could be back on here and you guys would be saying, oh, hey, moron, you said no. And they just added four teams. So uh, I don't know when the next expansion will happen, but um, I don't think it's done in terms of long term. I just would like to interject one, one quick question. You talk about the conference expansions. Um, the SEC has the SEC network. The Big Ten has the Big Ten network. I'm not, and I could be wrong, I'm not aware of any other conferences that have their own networks like that. Where, how, does those tel- how do those television networks um, feed into conference expansion, and, and where have they been beneficial to the University of Minnesota? Was the Big Ten network been beneficial? Yeah, uh, Rich, that's a great question because, um, you know, again, I remember when I was here from 2001 to five. Uh, Joel Matry, who's the athletic director at the time, called me into his office and he said, hey, Commissioner Delaney is talking about a TV network. And I remember we both kind of roll our eyes <laughs> like, what? He wants a, who, a network? Are you kidding me? And look what it's turned into. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and right now, you know, the Big Ten Network is by far the most successful conference network. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's a joint venture between the Big Ten Conference and Fox. Um, and then you have the SEC Network, which um, is a joint venture. Actually, it's not a joint venture. It's, it's solely ESPN. They've, they've aligned with ESPN. The ACC has launched a network, the ACC Network, which is with ESPN. So these networks play a, a big, big role. And, and if you look at our new TV partners, you know, the, the Big Ten has obviously signed with Fox, uh, which has been a partner for a long time. Uh, they've got CBS. They've got NBC now, right? And if you look at the SEC, they've got ESPN. So you can start to see some of the, the, the structure and how right. TV starting to play an impact in that. And, and obviously uh, Fox had a role, you know, that they have the Pac-12. And, and you see UCLA and USC come to the Big Ten, still <laughs> part of that Fox package. So I think I'm answering your question without answering your question. <laughs> <laughs> but but there, there's no doubt there's some influence from those TV partners. But but I can tell you, you know, w- when I look at a uh, – w- when um, when we bring recruits to campus, I like to meet with them. And I like to meet with their families and their guardians because I just want to make sure they understand who I am and, and, and what my what my goal is for, for their son or daughter to come to Minnesota. And when I talk about the Big Ten Network and the visibility, I mean, we get kids from all over the country and their families, their friends can watch them because of the Big Ten Network. It's, it's a phenomenal – a phenomenal deal, and, and Francois McGillicuddy, who um, it's a great name, but Francois is the president of the Big Ten Network. He was actually on campus uh, for our first game yesterday. Uh, we have a great relationship with him. He loves Minnesota, loves President Gable, loves the Gophers, and it's great to have him on campus to showcase uh, Minnesota, but it showcases all the institutions, so it's a huge, huge part of what we do. Yeah. Mark, I, uh, it was about two months ago, it was either you or President Gable called me and said USC and UCLA were coming to the Big Ten. But I couldn't say anything until the announcement. It was like two long days. I couldn't even tell Debbie <laughs> that, that USC and UCLA were coming in. But I'm sure glad they're part of the Big Ten. 
as they're part of the Big Ten right now, give us any feel yet as to conference alignment, conference realignment. We In football, we have seven teams in the East, seven teams in the West. Uh, are we going to go eight and eight? Is there going to be four divisions? Uh, uh, hopefully, we're going to be, whatever the divisions are, we're going to be able to keep our, uh, our competition with Iowa and Wisconsin. Uh, that's very, very important, I believe, that we, we play those two schools. Um, tell me, anything coming forward yet as far as a re- conference realignment? Yeah, so, so uh, th- that's a big, big question. And, and what I'd like to do, uh, Vice Chair Swigum, is, is answer it a couple different ways. So, so first, I could not agree more with you on the Iowa-Wisconsin games. Uh, you know, I've made it very clear to, to, uh, to the Big Ten Conference. And, and again, um, you've been around me long enough. I'm not a guy that pounds the table, but, but I have pounded the table saying that um, you know, Minnesota and Wisconsin, I think we've played 131 times. It's the most played game in the Big Ten Conference. Yep. We want that game to stadium happen. Is, yep. The stadium is filled. Yes, we, we want that game to happen. Uh, we've played Iowa 115 times. It's the third longest uh, game played in the Big Ten Conference. We want that game to happen. So I, I'm going to be very bullish and selfish for Minnesota that that's important for us, that we keep those games in place. I think the Big Ten recognizes the importance of those games. Uh, but I can tell you, when we went through our latest rounds of TV negotiations, um, you know the TV partners uh, they look at they look at our, our divisions, and I think they would like maybe not to have divisions. And so, uh, Vice Chair Swigum, when you asked me about um, you know will will we have eight teams in the West? You know how that all works out. I think divisions will ultimately go away, and you'll see the top two teams in the uh, conference playing the conference championship game each year. But, but again, those are still logistics we have to work out. Nothing has been formalized or finalized in terms of that. But but again, as the AD at Minnesota, I'm going to fight hard to continue to have Wisconsin and Iowa be key key games for us. Um, key uh, from the standpoint of finances as well. I mean, we we need to fill that stadium, as you know, Mark. We got to. I'm not telling you this is your job, but uh, we got to have the revenue from filling that stadium. And we know when we play Iowa, and we play Wisconsin. There's enough. Uh, competitive juices there that the stadium is filled. Yeah, well, if, if, if you remember a couple of years ago when we were in the midst of COVID, and, and again, if you all take a step back and think about what that was like, it's amazing what we've all been through over the last two and a half years. But yeah. if you remember during COVID, our Wisconsin game was canceled because of COVID. And Coach Alvarez, Coach Christ, Mark Coyle, and P.J. Fleck were begging the Big Ten to let us play that game. Mm-hmm. And they let us play the game at the end of the year because that's how bad we all wanted to play that game. So we recognized it and couldn't have any fans in the stadium. I mean, right. we played in Camp Randall Stadium with nobody in the stadium. You talk about an eerie feeling. It was an eerie feeling. But uh, And you were at games yeah. in, in 2020. Remember we were playing Michigan uh-huh. on national TV, and there's – 15 people in the stadium. I mean, it's just a different different deal. But, uh, but again, uh, that, that game's incredibly important to us, and, and so is the Iowa game. And, and uh, it gets our student-athletes excited. It gets our team excited. It gets our fans excited. And, again, go back to that oxygen line. Yeah. Money's not the most important thing, but it's right up there with oxygen. <laughs> and those two games give us a lot of oxygen. Those rivalries have to be maintained. However, the conference realigned. And, yep. and thank you for uh, pounding the table, Mark, yeah. and being strong about that point. Yeah. Uh, We will play with Wisconsin and Iowa. That is our goal, yep, every year. You're listening to Public Policy this week. Our guest this morning is Mark Coyle, Director of Athletics at the University of Minnesota. Mark, I was never much for video games, but around 2008, my three brothers and I could play a sports video game that featured the image and likeness of one of my brothers, who was a star football player at Duke University. A year later, in 2009, a former star basketball player at UCLA named Ed O'Bannon seeing his image and likeness in a video game, sued the NCAA. 
The video company the video company was making money off the athletes' images and likeness, but the athletes were not. My brother joined that suit. It took a few years to reach a conclusion, but in 2014, a judge ruled for the athletes in the case, and the door was cracked open for athletes to receive compensation for their name, image, and likeness. Now fast forward to 2021. The Supreme Court in the NCAA versus Alston case ruled unanimously that the NCAA cannot restrict education-related compensation benefits for student-athletes. If the door was cracked open after the O'Bannon case, it was certainly kicked down after the Alston case. Athletes can now benefit from name, image, and likeness, and it is the Wild West out there right now for compensation with little regulation. NIL is relatively new, but are there University of Minnesota athletes benefiting now from the rule changes that allow athletes to be compensated for marketing their name, image, and likeness? So, Joe, first off, I was really digging you. And then you told me you have Duke background. So I worked at Kentucky for seven years, and Kentucky and Duke don't get along. So we're not, I'm going to have to look past that here first. I didn't realize that Duke background in you. So. Yeah, my brother Jim played 40 games for Duke football, and I go. would fly from Chicago to Raleigh-Durham every Saturday morning, watch him play, and then get back Sunday morning so I could get back to my shifts as a police officer. Yeah. So great watching him play Where, yeah ACC. so so like if you say duke to a kentucky fan <laughs> christian leitner that last second shot in march madness is burned in their brains forever so that that cracks me up and <laughs> i got a great duke story to tell you from my time at syracuse I'll, i can tell you later but uh so so name image and likeness um first off uh it, it went into place uh last july 1st so i guess 14 months ago 13 months ago uh it, it was allowed by the NCAA to, to let student athletes benefit off of name image and likeness I am fully supportive of that. I, I think it is well-deserved. It is needed. Uh, I give O'Bannon a lot of credit. I give yeah. your brother a lot of credit. I give people who are the trailblazers to make that happen for the, today's student-athletes. And, and what's interesting, we talk all the time. Whenever I talk to our teams, I, I always talk about don't forget the student-athletes who came before you because they've laid the foundation for all the cool things that you have today. And, and think about how the Duke football student-athletes now, when your brother played, he didn't have access to some of these things. No. And now look at what they have access to. Mm -hmm. And we always want our kids to be mindful and respectful of the past and what those student-athletes did for them to give them the opportunities today. So there's no doubt that your brothers and others were trailblazers in the name, image, and likeness. And, and when you look at that program, it has been incredibly clunky across the country. And, mm -hmm. and what I mean by that, and I'm not even sure clunky is a word, but that's the word I use. I've used it many <laughs> times with the media i'd use it with the board of regents because there are no guidelines right now um when the ncaa put this into place there's i think 17 to 20 states that had legislation on what name image and likeness could look like minnesota was not one of those mm -hmm. states and if we didn't have legislation we could write a policy and we just had to follow that policy and i give jeremiah carter a uh, credit jeremiah oversees our compliance department uh, he worked he reports up to doug pearson our office of general counsel but jeremiah julie manning who's our deputy athletic director they wrote our policy and you know it's a good policy when almost every one of our peers copied it that hmm. didn't have a state law they literally took our policy and said here's our policy at institution y at x and Z. i mean they literally took our policy which is great and jeremiah worked at the nsa for seven years so he can kind of see around the corner in the space but when you ask me about how it's benefited minnesota um, my numbers may be off a little bit and, and i can get you the exact numbers if you would like but again we have 22 sports if i remember correctly um it'll be in my board presentation this upcoming week <laughs> i think we have a hundred on and, friday yep we have 133 student athletes that had NIL deals 
over 263 agreements were signed, huh. right? And it it uh, it ranked. I want to say we passed uh, north of 1.7 million dollars for our student athletes. And the important thing to understand is it's all 22 sports. So it wasn't all football. Right. Or it wasn't all basketball. It was swimming and diving, gymnastics, women's tennis. I mean, it was all of our sports where at least one kid had a partnership or a deal with a company. And how it works, Joe, is um, at the beginning, I was not allowed to be in it. I, I could not. Like, if, if you came to me and said, hey, we would like to sponsor Steve Swigum, your star quarterback. Um, we'd like to do an NIL deal with him. I couldn't be involved in that. I had to say, well, you've got to contact him directly. Mm-hmm. And so now we can direct people to our website, to gophersports.com, and they can get into our NIL program, and they can say if they want to work with Steve Swiggin, who's a student athlete, they can connect with him, and we can help connect that. But then they have to turn those agreements over to our compliance department just so we can track it. But, but again, I think we've been one of the more um, successful schools with NIL. Uh, Vice Chair Swiggin has heard me talk about this. Um, you know, if the speed limit's 55, Minnesota's going to go 54 because I think it's incredibly important that we don't get outside the guardrails because I do think the NCAA is going to enforce it eventually. And uh, when they do, I want to make sure our program does doesn't have any hiccups on that way. So again, it's been uh, a very successful program. We're all about it. We support it 100%. And then the second part, when you talk about the Austin uh, case, so the Austin case, uh, as you mentioned, it went all the way to the Supreme Court, yeah. and, and they voted unanimously that these student athletes can be paid. And so starting this year, um, we called our Champions for Life program. And, and again, they didn't put many guardrails around this, but, but if a student athlete, if they are academically eligible and, and they're a member of your team, uh, they can earn up to $5,980 a year. And what we've done at Minnesota is that we, we've, we've adopted this program, thanks to, to the board and their support, President Gable and their support, we've adopted this program. So our student-athletes will start to receive these additional benefits, again, if they continue to be academically eligible. And again, when I say academically eligible at Minnesota, 3-4, great point average. It's, it's not, you know, I don't want people to think, oh, yeah, if you get a D, you got the, no, you've mm-hmm. got to be making progress towards a degree. You've got to be at a high level and still be a part of our team. And then in addition to receiving that additional support financially, we also have a partnership with a company called Team Ultimus, which teaches financial literacy to our student athletes so they know how to manage that extra money. Yeah, great idea. Uh, we, we work with a company called Open Door. So when, when a student athlete cuts a deal with a company, they make sure that they're protected and that, you know, because again, they're in, I'm not a part of that agreement. So if Steve does an agreement with, with company XYZ um, and he doesn't fulfill that, you know, we need to make sure Steve understands well, company XYZ is going to go after you because you're supposed to do three, these three things you didn't do. So we work with these different companies in this education to help our student-athletes navigate this new water. But, but again, there are dramatic changes in college athletics. Um, I think um, they're good changes, they're the right changes. Uh, but at the end of the day, I just want to make sure we don't lose sight of why we do this. Uh, we do this because we make a promise to that young man and that young woman when we're in their living room that, hey, if you come to Minnesota, you're going to graduate from a world-class institution, and you'll be ready for the next 40 years of your life. And so I hope with all these other changes, we don't lose sight on that core mission, the academic side of it. Mark, I hear some of that uh, new TV, TV revenue that we're going to assume we get uh, going out the door, uh, that that's uh, going to be going to some student-athletes there. Tell us a little bit about uh, these collectives. We've heard and read about the collectives. Uh, can can you tell us how the collectives work in the NIL to uh, to participate with the students? Yeah, so, so, so schools have gotten very creative um, where where they've developed collectives. So um, a, a group of individuals can get together and they can start to raise money 
and they can pool that money together and then they can help student athletes interact with different companies and they pay them out of that collective. Um, we have a collective that, uh, uh, we actually have a couple collectives at Minnesota that have been launched. Um, one called Dinky Town Athletics uh, and then another one, uh, the name escapes me right now, but uh, a lot of our football players have started this collective. And again, um, you know, they work closely with Jeremiah Carter and our compliance department because the last thing I want to do is go in front of the board and say, hey, we, we actually got out of our lane here. Uh, you know, we got a problem. Um, but they work closely with Jeremiah Carter to make sure that, that we have an alignment. You'll get an update uh, next Thursday, Friday from Jeremiah and me on, this, on these collectives and these initiatives. But they're an important part uh, of what we're doing moving forward. But it's, it's where when I use the word clunky, where it's gotten clunky, you, you see these stories about, you know, these collectives paying student athletes millions and millions of dollars to go to institution yeah. XYZ. Yeah. The Florida yeah. quarterback, for yeah. instance, we've read about. Pe- yeah, yeah, people have to understand that is such a small percentage of the student athletes. I mean, uh, Zion, because of your Duke background, and Joe, I'm still cut off guard by the Duke comment. <laughs> um, like Zion Williams. Remember him at Duke? I do, I do. Like that young man deserves, he deserved his, for him to benefit off his name, image, and likeness. I mean, he, he was a once in a lifetime player, uh, dude, yeah. right? Johnny Manziel at Texas A&M, yeah. right? He's a once in a lifetime. Most of these NIL deals are, they're very, very small that, you know, they're, Hey, here's, you know, $1,500 of free food at restaurant a, and you just have to tweet out three times a month that you eat at restaurant a so so i think people need to understand yes you see these kate you see these handful of student athletes who are getting these million dollar nil deals most of them are very small deals but again we're all about that we support it and we think it's the right thing for our student athletes and for, for college athletics i realize mark we're kind of on the verge of the horizon the cliff of this nil uh, um, situation and consequences do i have any reason to be concerned about uh, NCAA has always been about equity and fairness, you know. In fact, let me read, if you, if you would, the statement from the NCAA's, uh, NCAA's mission. To govern competition in a fair, safe, equitable, and sportsmanlike manner. Uh, and, and it goes on to integrate uh, athletics into higher education. But fair, safe, equitable. Do I have, should I have concerns with, uh, with the new NIL stuff that's, it's not going to be quite as fair, quite as safe, uh, quite as equitable, equitable in the future. That it's going to be a, a lot of up for bids, uh, bidding wars. I, I think you see some of that across the country. You, you know, the media definitely talks about some of those stories. Uh, not to get too deep on you, um, I, I would argue, has it always been fair? And, and what I mean by that is it, it's all about recruiting, right? And again, I, I went back to uh, your product of your development, right? And if you've got to get the best kids to come to your school to compete at the highest level, um, you know, um, Minnesota recruiting against um, Florida, is that, a, is that a fair recruiting battle, right? You know, we, we have snow up to our waist in, in January. They don't, <laughs> right? So do you see what oh, I'm saying? You're in by southern fair? Minnesota yeah, now. Right? I, yeah, good point. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. Only yeah. up to your ankles here, yeah. right? <laughs> But, but, but my point is, you know, different schools have different advantages. Like one of Minnesota's great advantages is our academic reputation. I mean, I mean we get kids who want to come to Minnesota because it's a top 25 world-class research institution. I mean, you know the academic yeah. stats better than I do. And kids are like, I want to go. I want to be a part of that. They're going to have a job when yeah, they get there. So, so, I, so I would argue mm-hmm. that it's unfair what Minnesota has to offer student athletes, right? So, so yes, the NCAA wants to have fair competition. They want to make sure recruiting is equal for everybody. Uh, but I would argue that that's almost impossible because different schools have different attributes that they can 
present to families, to student athletes, et cetera. But where I want to make sure NIL, and, and I think you see a lot of concern about this, um, is that they don't use it for recruiting inducement, right? Where, um, and, and I'm very, very proud of our coaches because you see other schools that will say, you know, hey, Rich, if you come to our school, we guarantee you $250,000 in the name, image, and likeness deal. And what are you going to say? I'm in, right? I'm going to say yes to that. Yep, yes. Right? Yeah. I'm in, yeah. right? Our coaches are not making any promises. Our coaches will simply say, we live in a vibrant community, a vibrant state that loves Gopher Athletics. We have over 130 student-athletes that have NIL deals. We're chasing almost $2 million in those deals. We can take care of you. And, oh, by the way, we partner with Team Ultimus to help you with your financial literacy. We partner with Open Doors to help you with your branding, your contract management. So we do all these other things. And I think at the end of the day, those, those good things, the right things, will win out over those people who aren't using it the right way. Let's bring it back to policy that is good for society. That's ultimately what our show is about each week. We've talked about the great operations within the University of Minnesota, the athletic department today. We've talked about conference expansion, the new lucrative television deal for the Big Ten Conference. We talked a little bit about NIL rules. Ultimately, is all of this good for the student-athlete? For example, conference expansion might mean more travel. A new TVD, TV deal may lead to playing more games on the schedules. And although it's long overdue to compensate athletes for their name, image, and likeness, there could be some potential problems with the NIL rule changes, including like recruiting bidding wars. Again, are the major changes taking place in athletics the, in the best interest of your student-athletes? We could spend another hour, <laughs> uh, Joe, on that topic right there. You know, um, I, I think uh, I know Vice Chair Swigman the best of this group. I think he would tell you I, I, uh, I tend to be an old-fashioned, uh, kind of, uh, again, underneath-the-radar type of guy. And I had an opportunity to play Division Three uh, football. I always ask the student athletes, "What sport did?" Or you know, I say, "What sport did I play?" They never guess football. <laughs> and then when I tell them football, they're like, "Were you the kicker?" <laughs> and I, I was a wide receiver. Uh, that should give you a sense of my size for you listening today. But um, but um, I think all the uh, you either embrace change or it runs you over. Yeah. And and uh, you know, I, I remember um, when, when the pandemic first hit. Um, I was talking to Commissioner Delaney of the Big Ten Conference, and I don't know if you've had a chance to ever visit with him or spend time with him. That dude can see around the corner. Hmm. He, he is just at a different level. And I remember he talked about, you know, those departments that are going to survive are the ones that embrace change and they come out of this pandemic going 100 miles an hour. And, and there's, there's a great scene in the movie Days of Thunder. If you've ever seen Days of Thunder, <laughs> yeah. right? You know, Tom Cruise, NASCAR-type movie, old-school movie. And... They told them when you're going through the smoke, you can either put your foot on the brake or you can put your foot on the gas. Yeah. And what did they tell them? Put your foot on the gas. Put your foot on yeah, the gas. Yes. And, and uh, respectfully, I hope Vice Chair Swigum sees that we have put our foot on the gas at Minnesota and college athletics has, meaning we want to be a part of this change. We want to embrace this change. And so I think all the changes that have happened are positive. They're good. Uh, we need to get guardrails around NIL. I do have concerns about NIL and how that is used in recruiting right yeah, now because I, I do think that's created some um, – um, uneasiness and it puts a pin in my stomach when you hear about what other schools are doing and and I hear what other schools are doing our right. coaches you know we lose mm -hmm. kids and and again I give our coaches a ton of credit because they're not making false promises that they're being very honest and truthful with our student athletes but again I go back and and it's not lip service at the end of the day I feel like it is my job 
to make sure that if you trust us to send your kid to Minnesota, that as the athletic director, I do everything I can to give your kid a first-class experience academically, athletically, socially. I can't control playing time. I can't control any of that stuff. But what I can control is that we do everything we can, again, to give them that experience of academically they're going to graduate from a world-class research institution, and for the next 40 years, they are set. That is our goal, and I hope we don't lose sight of that in college athletics. Mark, uh, we want to thank you for coming to Northfield and Kim Radio. Um, as you mentioned one time, your boss is coming here in two weeks. Is there anything we should tell her or uh, anything you want us to uh, pass on to Joan when she comes in? Yeah, well, well, yeah, she, she, uh, you, you guys are going to love spending time with her. She, she has been um, a huge, huge advocate of, of our athletic program. She's got a great, great background in athletics. You know, she was the dean of the school at, at Missouri in business and, and got really close to the athletic program. And then she went to Florida State, you know, a great athletic program. Then she was at South Carolina in the SEC as a provost. And, uh, and you know, what's cool about her is, she knows a lot of our student athletes. They see her. She she's very, very visible with our student athletes. And, and she's traveled to the Final Four with our volleyball team. She's gone to the Frozen Four with our hockey team. She goes to the practices. Yeah, she goes. She, she is yep, attended the football, yep. volleyball uh, she goes practices. To, she goes to practices. Uh, she spends a lot of time. Uh, she... Um, we get our women's athletic leaders together often, and she comes in and speaks to that group on women's leadership and what it means. So, uh, again, we're just really grateful for her, but put in a good word for the AD. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great and informative hour yeah. of radio. Our guest for today's episode of Public Policy This Week has been University of Minnesota Athletic Director Mark Coyle. Thank you, Mark, for being a part of our program today. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it very much. And that will conclude this week's edition of Public Public Policy This Week. We're on KYMN Radio, AM 1080 and FM 95.1 each Friday morning from 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock. I'm Rich Larson. Your hosts for today's program have been Joe Moravchek and Steve Swigum. Please tell your family and friends about public policy this week. It's our hope that this show can be a small step to having important, meaningful, in-depth conversations about public policy challenges and solutions, staying away from the high-volume, rhetoric-filled conversations that are so commonplace today. We want our listeners to be informed by facts as they hear from our experienced policy experts and then to be able to use that information to make the best personal decisions about highly complex policy issues. Uh, and I want to thank all three of you gentlemen today, Steve Swig, I'm Joe Moravchek, Mark Coyle, for uh, giving us such a great hour and 10 minutes or so of, of radio. Thank you all for joining us today for Public Policy This Week. We'll hope you join our show again next Friday morning at 10 a.m. Have a, a great Friday and a stupendous weekend. You've been listening to Public Policy This Week. Tune in every Friday morning at 10 a.m. for more conversation with policy experts. Remember, this show can be found on your favorite podcast platform or stream it from kymnradio.net.